Welcome to the Long Come Norwich podcast, a humble homily helpfully homogenising Norwich City supporters' opinions for your ear holes. I'm Tom, and I'm joined by the usual happy clappers, Lorne. Hi, Roy. John. Evening. And this week we're in the company of greatness, Mr Darren Huckabee. Evening. On this pod, we'll look back on the last three games and have a row about whether drawing most of our games of late shows the current revolution is steadily on track or a pathetic water-treading waste of everybody's time. Of course, we'll be picking Hux's brain and asking for his opinion on many of the recurring topics that have cropped up this season. We'll take in the best crop of listeners' questions and round off, as always, with the Along Come Norwich quiz. So, first up, other than the bonkers game at Hull, um, it's been a tale of draws of late. Uh, Lorne, kick us off with a look back at the last few games and what you think it means for how far through the revolution has progressed. I think we are as far through the revolution as we should be at this stage. I think the draws, while frustrating, were in no way as bad as, well, certainly you felt, according to Twitter and WhatsApp afterwards. I think the Forest draw in particular was a really solid performance. Similar to Bolton, one goal, and that would have been a completely different mood after the game. So at this stage... I think this season's done. It's been done a while. I'm happy just to enjoy it from here. So, for me, the enjoy it bit is the issue. So I mentioned um, our our famed WhatsApp conversations after the games are usually me being explained to by John and Lorne as to why I should be happier with what I'm watching than I than I am. I have felt the last couple of home games in particular, um, no, the last four or five home games in particular, Hux that. The, 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 the tempo with which we play at times is so slow that yes I want us to keep the ball but if you're going to do it that slowly you're not actually entertaining me uh, I would agree to a certain extent but I think there was spells in especially the Forest game and definitely the Bolton game especially first half but I think against Bolton that was the best we played uh, apart from really poor finishing we played with a tempo uh, we got our teams we made chances Second half that game was revert how it's been for most of the season, which was slow, boring, uh, predictable. But there's been spells. In the Forest game, I thought we probably went a bit more direct than we have done. I thought Hernandez looked really good. But it's the same old, same old. Uh, if you don't take your chances in any league, you're going to struggle. And the problem is we're not putting whole performances together. Even against Hull, by all accounts, we weren't very good, but we, you know, we scored three goals and... Even again, the other night against Barnsley, I think we had a spell the last 30 minutes where we were the better team. But against good teams, you're going to get killed if you only turn up for the last 30 minutes. So it is a work in progress, but I don't buy this. It's going to take four or five winners. If it takes four or five winners, we're in deep draw. Yeah, I, uh, for so me- it, it is work in progress. I think we all can see what the manager's trying to do but we've got to be able to mix up per game a little bit more than we have though. Mm. So we've been bemoaning in, in the reviews on Longcome Norwich um, website, longcomenorwich.com, for all the previews and reviews of, of, the, of the games. We've often bemoaned the lack of a plan B, John, and that was something that we both wrote in the one we did together a couple of games ago, that it was, it was the Bolton game, in mm. fact, that yes, for the first 45 minutes, I agree with you, Hux, that was probably the best we were, but part of that was how deep Bolton was sitting, 
um, and the gap between the defence and midfield. They then closed that gap, second half, and we could not find a way through those that back nine. I think there's an issue in so much as Farker can change it up tactically if we lose him. So he can throw on creative bodies, he's got ways there, he's got Ranchich, he can put Hernandez on, you know, just change Murphy into little pockets of space. Or like he did the other night, switch him to the left, and actually he's a bit more potent there. Um, but what he hasn't been able to do yet, and it's certainly at, um, at home at Carrow Road, is he hasn't been able to ma- break down the team. So it, Bolton is the case in point where he can't unlock the door. And whether that's Wes coming on, who looks a bit more direct and is looking to play those passes into space where your Josh Murphys and your Hernandezes and hopefully your Nelson Oliveras need to be getting on the end of, that's probably where we need to improve. So I'd kind of slightly disagree that there's no plan B. I think there is if we're losing. And I think if we're drawing, that's when it's potentially an issue. See, and that's where I disagree again, is that at that stage, so with the Bolton game, yes, the second half performance wasn't as good as the first half performance, but we were still controlling the game. We never ever looked like we were going to lose it, and we were still creating chances, just not as many. Well, playing, but I, I kind of, but you're playing against Bolton, who were absolutely yeah. awful. But they had this absolute lack of pace throughout their team, you know. Because Prattley was, you know, it must be 50, yeah. 52, yeah. you know, literally. Yeah. Yeah. So... It's against really average teams that we're, we're not pulling the trigger against. You know, Forest aren't a good team. Forest are in turmoil at the minute. Bolton are in turmoil. Barnsley, you know, they're going to be a, a League One stroke championship club all the way. That's how they're going to be. We've got to start hurting these teams because, to be honest, they're not very good. And at the minute, we are looking like a, an average championship team. And with some of the players we've got, you know, that's, that's worrying because soon some of the players might not be here. Yeah, I mean that's the assumption in the summer that, that you know the likes of Madison's going to going to move on, um, and you you take well, you take Hull is a perfect example. You take Madison's goals out of Hull, and all of a sudden we lost four nil, um, at a very poor team. Um, well, you you can pull a face which doesn't work on a podcast. Uh, well, two of them were penalties, is what I was pulling the face out. They're not. I accept that Madison has done. Yeah, we could have been. We were all over the shop. They weren't three Madison goals, were they? So going back to the very start of this this, this point, so the the draws of late, and it's not worth going into the individual games because we're not playing for particular points. We're not going down with something like 16, 18 points, clear of that. We're not going up either. Um, I don't think anyone would have, I don't think anyone really, after kind of that initial really good run came to an end, genuinely really honestly believed we were going to put together enough to, to make a promotion push from kind of towards Christmas time onwards but for me the last two or three months I haven't seen the progression that I would expect yes I understand what, what so I understand where people are coming from saying oh you need three or four windows to shake up the squad but my point is I'm not even confident that Weber and Farker can do anything with three or four windows because okay they've, so they've had a couple to, to start to get the team they want I haven't seen this team, I haven't seen him fix the problems of this team and coach these players and make these players better, with the exception of Zimmerman, who he's got done great things with. Madders has pretty much been fantastic all the way through. I mean, I don't think he's necessarily coaching, but maybe man management, he's done well with him. I think you'd put Teddy in that bracket as well, wouldn't you? Well, he's, he's been fine, but... I don't buy that either. But, but Teddy was a decent Tete's player, isn't he? He's played 50-odd times for Norway. He was shocking last season. He's played in the Premier League. Well, because now you're asking him just to break stuff up and sit there, yeah. and that's what he's good at. You're not yeah, asking I'm not to play necessarily saying it's good board. coaching, but it's spotting what he can do and putting him in a system where he's going to be effective. Where he, he Alex Neal didn't do this, that last This season. system is built for the midfielders to look really, really good. Mm. It is. You know, if your second midfielders touch the ball more times than anybody else, they're going to look okay. Mm. And 
that's I bet players have looked good. Teddy, for instance, Madison, like like them when he played. You know, they look good because they have loads of the ball. Mm. And you know, if you have loads of touches, it's great. But if you're in another position, you know, if I say when I was playing, if for instance the centre midfield was touching the ball twenty five times more than I am, I've got massive issues with that. Mm. So we've just got to speed the ball up a little bit more. And, and we do play through the middle. Obviously, the two centre halves probably pass it to each other more times than anybody else on the pitch. Yeah. So we can see what he's trying to do, but like I say, we've got to mix it up a little bit. Sometimes we've got to go in behind. Sometimes we've got to get the wingers the ball over. We've just got to mix it up a little bit, and it's if you're playing against it, it can be a little bit predictable. Do you but, think the movement's good enough? Because sometimes I look at it, and it's in the midfield, and they're fairly static, and the wingers aren't, you know, kind of peeling off, and it, it well, just doesn't. It, it can be. Mm. You would say that sometimes, uh, but he, he likes a, a wide men to be inside the game a bit yeah. more. So they're actually playing as really false wingers, they're playing mm. as extra midfielders a bit. So then it's just more passes, and it's just passes that are going nowhere. And that's that's the thing you mentioned. You you you've got your middle midfield players having loads and loads of the ball. And um, one of the reasons that they are able to have loads and loads of the ball is because if you anyone who's watched any tape of us at Carrow Road can just go and tell you what well, you can play on the halfway line as long as you want. We'll watch you go side to side to side to side to side, and we know you're not going to do a great yeah. deal with it. But that's why I think. Uh... Onel Hernandez and his uh, improvement in form in the last couple of weeks is a positive for two reasons. Because one, he makes us look better because unlike uh, Murphy, who sometimes make the run, he always looks to make that run in between the fullback and the centre-half. Well. And that ball does come when he makes that run, whereas Murphy sometimes goes to make it and sometimes comes back to... Jamal Lewis and wants it to feed. But is that is that the coaching that he's had from Farker to say, oh, hang on, I'm supposed to be Well, no, I'd him. say no, because Ernel Hernandez is, is, is doing that. Yeah, also, because he's new, so he hasn't he hasn't had that indoctrination of I must, I must, I must He's new, and he was purchased by Farker. Like, if Farker recognised that in him, he purchased him for a reason, and I think that's the other positive, is most of the signings, apart from maybe Franker, that Weber and Farker have made, have been a success or Watkins I don't don't agree mate yeah maybe I'll agree maybe I'll just think of an added I think it's a fundamental issue with this with this setup and I understand it works this way in in Europe in terms of that but in Europe unless I'm mistaken which I usually am um, it's normally clearer whether it's the sporting director's player or it's the manager's player like we've heard little bits and bobs that have come out not through official channels that apparently Tribal was, was a Farker signing um, but apparently there are others that you know they're Weber and and I I actually think that you at the point of almost at the point of making the signing you they can both hide behind well maybe you, you can make excuses for them by saying oh maybe that wasn't Farker's player maybe that wasn't Weber's player I I, I for me there isn't an, a clear enough distinction between okay is Farker poor old Farker he only gets the players that Weber chooses for him therefore you can't give him a hard time. Or in which case, I think we have to have a serious look at Weber for what he's done in the two transfer windows so far. Um, because if it is all on him, then I think you can do just as big a list of flops as you can successes transfer-wise. And I think but the kind of market that we're dealing in and the, the, the league that we're playing in, there's going to be as many flops as there are successes, given the amount of money that we've got to spend. Um, you know, and Scriveni is, is probably one for the future. You know, That's another one that you look at at the moment and you think, well, it's just not up to the task, is he? But I think if we look at the whole team, the back line should be sorted. And maybe that's because we're playing two defensive midfielders. But What happens when Closer goes in summer? 
If he goes in the summer. When he goes in the summer. All right, Raggett comes in, or whoever. We're going to have to sign Raggett another centre-back. can't get a game. Why, if we're building, if we've got this revolution, why is Raggett not getting a game? But they've, given, but they've given a reason around that, haven't they? That he hasn't played in the back three before and they want to coach him into playing so, the back three. So play three. him, get, give him championship experience Agreed. in a season that's going nowhere. All right. This is I'll the get thing. to my point. Though. It doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't add up. The ve- the excuses that people give for our lack of progress don't add up. I'll get to my point. Is that defence okay? Midfields looked half decent. Attacking players haven't. Now they're not Farkas players. They're not Weber's players apart from possibly Watkins. Hernandez is the one light in that at the moment. Who's looked half decent? Who's looked? He's got a bit of purpose. He wants to go at people. He's quick. So I think we need to give them the opportunity to sign the replacements because Nelson Oliveira can't play in this setup. I mean, he just—he's either down tools or he's not equipped for it. See, I see. I said I made that point to someone within the club who then sent me six WhatsApp videos of from the from Norwich City's analyst mm. of where Nelson had actually gone this season, gone and got up the ball. One was at Forest earlier in the season, got the ball, ran for twenty yards and done something and put put the ball in the net. And I was like, okay, fair enough. So is is it is it, if your if your highest paid striker, your number one striker, can't play in that system, fuck you doing playing that system. Play you know, I know you have a system that you believe yeah, yeah. in, but you've also got a set of assets. If we are if we are if we're not rich enough to say, Oh, I'm gonna buy whatever players I want to make my system work, you've got these players. Be a good enough coach to tweak the system to get the best out of a striker who clearly needs a lot of mollycoddling, needs well, a lot of man management. I think they thought they could get a tune out of him, and they have in games, but actually there's other games where he's just been completely nullified, or psychologically, he's gone and he's just down tools. So we need to replace him, we need to look at, potentially Murphy's not a striker, You know, he's playing him through the middle at the moment and that's not working. So we, we're going to need to replace the forwards, and then at that point, I think we're in a decent place to judge him. What do you think about the forward options, Harks? Do you, the for me, all season, two recognised strikers can't go into a championship season with two recognised strikers. Or do you think? Well, I don't think actually. We, I, I honestly don't think we did, we, we did. I think we went in with obviously Jerome, uh, Oliveira, and Watkins. I think that was the idea. I think Watkins scored about 12, 13 goals last season, albeit from probably slightly deeper. But I think they thought that he was going to, won't say be the answer, but uh, contributor, an, an option, probably a cheaper option. The, the problem is, you know, as a, all the forwards haven't done enough this season. You know, they haven't. They've been... Jerome, I didn't score enough goals, but you knew what he was going to get. The good one we went on was, I won't say down to him, but a lot of his hard work, harassing, holding the ball, running the channels. Stretching teams. Yeah, yeah. But he's, you know, he wasn't clinical enough. Nelson is clinical at times, but doesn't have the work rate of, of Jerome. And Watkins is by all, all accounts and by his own admission is not doing enough. So, and then you add Murphy to that, who's probably not playing as well as he can do. That's going. That's virtually no goals in the team. Mm-hmm. No goals in the team. It's apart from Madison, who's you know he's had a wonder season and he's probably scored six or seven from outside the box, which you know don't normally happen. Mm-hmm. So you take them out of the game. We're relegated. I won't say we're relegated because there's some real rubbish in this league. Mm-hmm. But I know I've been watching it. But it'll be a lot. It'll be. Uh, you play a lot of it. Yeah, it would be uh, it would be it would be, it'd be really difficult if Madison hadn't scored the goals he had done. Uh, really important times against big teams away where we've got a goal and managed to hang on. Them go the other way would be in a bit of trouble. Yeah, I, so the the thing is that the the really good run we went on where we were controlling possession because we won nil up because our football suits being won nil up, um, gave a full sense of security I feel to the people who are still really really bought into the revolution. I, I I've just seen I've been 
board too often at Carrow Road this season to feel as optimistic <coughs> as the two gentlemen sitting So there's, there's two things to say on that. One, you're saying that in the middle of a run where it's two defeats in 15, which is no bad thing, and two, would you rather no have last season... If you want to play the flip side of that. Yeah, but he's been his negative saying. persona that he's suddenly become. Yeah, but you win three of them, you've got more points. Yeah. Goodbye being more attacking. Yeah. yeah. But w- so that takes me on to point two, which is would you rather we played like we played last season, where we would smash Forest for five or we'd smash Redden seven one yes, and then would. we'd go away and lose to Burton? Yes it would. Yeah, and I think a lot of people would, and that's fair enough. Be- because, because it was because, entertaining. Because the games where we're good are fantastic to watch. And goals and chances and the first half of Bolton, um, as I said to, to you boys and I, and I can't remember if we've potted since since the Bolton game, I think we did, didn't we? Yeah. But at half time Bolton, I think me along with a lot of the, the people who are slightly more on the doubting side of the, of the fence thought he's fixed it. Awesome. If we're going to play like this, if we're going to play, it was the because t- it was the tempo. But it's, it's not that linear, is it? It's not like he's no, fixed it. So now we're never going to play badly no, I, again. I know it isn't, but the point was, I, I was, I will be as Hux, everyone will be over the moon. Um, if we're going to play great football, score good goals, have loads of the ball, terrific. But for me, 79% possession and, and drawing nil-nil, that's not why I paid £600 for a season ticket. It's, it's just... And a really good friend of mine has, has just decided not to renew because because he is he's even more fed up than I am of watching us go sideways. It, it could, and I, I, I mean, we talked about renewing earlier in, early in the season and for me it's an automatic thing however bad we are, whichever league we're in, I'll go to football on Saturday. But it is it is it is so frustrating for me that I can't see enough progress in the pattern of play. I think that's a worrying thing. I've spoke to two or three people and they said they're not renewing because they just think they've got to rock up and get a ticket when they want them. Because, you know, I won't say attendances are down, but you, you can see a lot of... There are more empty seats than yeah, they're having for a long time. I'm not saying that's because of the football and that. It might just be circumstances, but... You know, it's it's kind of worrying that if normally at Norwich it's people are renewing whatever, mm. and it seems like a few people are having second thoughts, and that has got to be down to a little bit on the pitch. It's got to be because, but we are still in transition, and but but my worries we can't keep using this as an excuse because we're not playing well well enough against average teams, average teams. It's different against you know some of the bigger teams who have got a lot more to spend. But it's teams that you know really should should have enough in the locker to, to beat. At what point do you think is it's judged? Do you think it's judged at the end of this season or halfway I think through this next season? I think Christmas next season, if we're 14, 15th in the league, then alarm bells have got to start ringing. Yeah. I'm not saying all that change. I'm saying something's we've got to mix up a little bit. We, yeah. You know, either we've got to buy better players, we've got to you know change the system a little bit. I, I think the manager is learning. I think we have been a little bit more direct in the last few games when we needed to be, and it must be difficult because he's coming to the league, and the championship's a tough league. Mm. It's relentless. It's week in, week out, hard scraps. So that's why Neil Warnock does well. Every club he goes to because he knows what to do. He gets the same kind of players, and they are horrible to play against. Big, strong, athletic, can fight, can bite, can scrap. You know we haven't got that. We haven't. When we sold. Bradley Johnson, that was the last player we had that would put his foot in and put someone in the fourth or fifth row. And he wasn't even that much of a tough player. Teddy but does that. I think Teddy does that. Yeah, Grant Hanley does that. I don't, I don't, Grant Hanley does yeah, so, so, so Hanley is, has been an absolute 
gem. He's also he's also a Scottish international that cost one million pound and, and played Premier League. So he's not he's not mm. like he's plucked him out of nowhere. Mm. Yeah. He's a he's a hardened. And he was, he was also bought, remember, right at the very end of the window well, when they thought, fucking hell, we haven't quite got enough here. We're looking shit in the sense that they've got to wanted him at the start of the window. Exactly. They wanted him at the start of the window apparently, and he was too much. And then when they got to the end of the window, the price had suddenly dropped. You also, see it back all the start, all the start panicking a little bit. Well, so yeah, Russ back in the squad, I saw for, for Scotland as well. And it shows a willingness to learn as well. Yeah. Like Hanley and Russ back back in in, in McLeish's first squad, although Russ had just slipped a disc in his back, so he, he might be able to play. Sorry, you were saying. Well, I was just going to say the signing of Hanley. I think as a bit shows a willingness to learn and a willingness to accept that you thought that was going to you had enough with the back four we had. We didn't. We got tonked. Right, we need something else. Okay, so there's been a few um, recurring um, topics that have come up through the season. Thought it'd be worth getting Huxley's opinion on um, because they'll obviously be the um, de facto answers to everyone. Um, one of them is, is overtraining. So apparently we've now got double sessions. That is de rigueur with, with um, the German coaching staff. Um, so some people have worried that that might cause injury. There's been obviously there was that leak about tiredness and, and some of the older professionals not being happy with it. Um, as someone who has presumably done some double sessions in their career, um, is it the case that with the right attitude and recovery, you can play all the time and it's more of a mental thing? Or do, do you actually think double sessions sometimes could be too much? Uh, I'm of the thought that you, know, you, should be able to, you should be able to do double sessions, you should be as fit as you can be. Uh, different if you stop getting loads of injuries. I don't think we have. I think we've you know, had a couple of hamstrings and stuff, but I don't think it's been it's been more impact injuries. Obviously, Teddy's yeah. thought, thought, but for me, you should be as fit as you can be. And you know, people get paid a lot of money on the sports side of sports science kind of side of it. This now that they should have known exactly what they're doing and if they're doing it right. And I think at the end of the season, they'll have all the data. How much people? How far people are running? How quick they're running? Uh, how many injuries they've got? And then they'll be able to decide. Whether the all out training has worked, we look quite fit in the games. I, I wouldn't have thought we we look leggy or yeah, great. No, and likewise with it, I I think that with the injuries that we've had, also the the players that have been injured are the ones that are the more injury prone players and have had yeah. issues in the past. So it's it's not a particular. It's not something that I'm worried about. Spurs no. are, Spurs have basically revolutionised the their regime under Pochettino and really really kicked on. You know, and they're there or thereabouts every year in the Premier League now, and and they put that one down. I would say the most most teams, the big teams, the best player every week, the best players play every week. You know, Messi don't miss a game. He plays seventy five games every year, whatever it's eighty games every year. Mm-hmm. That's what you have to get to if you want to be a, a top player. You've got to be fit enough to play every single game. And at the big clubs, they play most weeks. I think that's how it's got to be. And we haven't got the biggest squad in the world. And you know if. If Hanley's fit or if Madison's fit, they're going to play. That's so, for example, in the Premier League season 2004-2005, you played 37 of 38 games. Which games did you miss? I missed the Man City game, I think. What was that with? Through injury, I was at my ankle the day before. Just, just because I was uh, prepping for the no, quiz, well, like, I, I noticed was, it was 37 yeah. 38. When I was at Norwich, for some reason, Wilmington didn't want to play me in the cup games. So, you know, we got knocked out against Northampton, so I don't know, but like a low league team. and. Used to wind me up, but he said, "Oh, we need you for the." But I said, "I, I play every game. I don't." For me, it's if you fit, you play. Mm. Um, or if you fit and you're one of the better players, you play. Simple as that. Okay, so another thing is this can't again and again, and I'm not sure how aware you are of the of the work that um, 
the Longcombe Norwich uh, podcast and website, Barclay and Norwich um, have been working on the atmosphere, trying to improve the atmosphere in home games. It's been a challenging season for them to try and kick on with that. Um, so for a player's point of view, how much does does the, the atmosphere you're playing in genuinely make a difference? Like, can it affect motivation and enemy, uh, energy levels? Or realistically, are, are you so focused on the task in hand that it's, it's just background noise? I would never say it's background noise. I think, uh, you know, when you're on there, you can tell if the fans are happy, you can tell if they're not. Uh, also, it also can give the other team a lift if your fans are on you a little bit. But it starts with, you know, if a team's playing well and doing the right thing and, you know, looking good on the ball and pressing and making chances, the team are going to cheer. You know, people are going to, you know, give you applause, they're going to get behind you. So yeah, I think it starts off, you've got to give the fans something to cheer about. I think it always has. I, I don't know if there's any other place where fans are going mental all the time, even if you're not playing well, maybe Celtic, something like that. But in the real world, you have to give the fans something to cheer about and and then it stops from there. So if the team is behind you, it gives you a lift, you can go for it. If it's not, then it can be difficult. You know, it's difficult if you if there's booing at half time and but that's part of football. We've seen because we've seen a couple of times um uh, Murphy in particular turn around and, and kind of go back at fans this season because it's been quiet enough that individual people who you know I'd use the term bellends who try and dig out individual players which isn't going to help anything um, but it's, it's been, been quiet enough for him to be able mm. to hear that and he, he and Redmond was another one who used to if he ever heard anything not be able to just like brush it off well, how, how much can that genuinely get in a player's head and kind of affect their performance for the next two three minutes or, or more it depends how mentally tough you are. Okay. Uh, if someone says something to you, and it, you can let it go over your head, but young lads might struggle with that a little bit because you know you're getting dug out. But then it's up to you to go and change people's perception of you. It's you know I guarantee if you got the ball and beat three players and had a shot at the bar or something, I, I can't imagine the fans abusing him for that. So mm. it goes both ways. Fans are going to get disappointed. It's been you know, it's going to be a difficult season. You know, and it's, it's been I won't say toxic, but some of the games this season, it's it's been really it's been a tough watch, and it's probably been tough playing out there. So, you know, we've got to try and find a unity as, as a as a group as, of fans and, and team, and you know, try and push on. But like I say, this season's dead near enough. So, but then next season it'll be the the same thing which happens every season at every club you've ever been at is the optimism that you know it's we're gonna we're gonna get promoted this year, and that's how it that's how it always is. So, hopefully we get this season out of the way, put it to bed. And we start fresh next season, and hopefully we've got a few of our better players left, and we'll, we'll see what happens. There's just quickly one one point on atmosphere uh, where I disagree with you a bit is that I think quite often if the atmosphere is poor, the excuse that gets trotted out after the game is, "Well, the team didn't lift us; it's the team's fault. The atmosphere was poor." And the reason that pisses me off is every single game, if you go in the Barclay uh, concourse before the game, there's loads and loads of singing, and it's a really good atmosphere in the concourse before kickoff. So the fans in there don't need the players to lift them. And then the same people who sing in the concourse go up, get on the, get in the Barkley and go silent. And that really pisses me off. But did they do go silent after these 30 passes between the two centre-halves? Well, they go silent the second they get in the Barkley. Like before kick-off, they go from singing in the concourse to silent. Like they don't sing the on-the-ball city before the game. It's just before any action is taking place, there will be people who sing in the concourse and then go up onto the Barkley lower and just stand silently. And that, uh, yes, uh, I'm, not, I'm not saying that, like I say, it's got to be something happening straight away where the f- fans go mental. There's got to be some kind of atmosphere in the stadium. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I think the players have to lift the crowd. 
they're probably before the start the, the fans have got to lift the players and then when the game starts the players have got to give some of the crowd something to cheer but them. likewise I would still say that that does come off the back of what the players have done the last game like effectively that there has been times in the past when Caro has been bouncing at kickoff before a ball's been kicked because we've just come off the back of two or three good results or we've just, you know you, you've kind of gone with with a lot of energy you've carried from the last yeah. game and you're, you're not singing out of habit you're singing because you're um, you're really up and you're really up for the fact that we can't wait for us to, to get into this next team because I reckon it's going to be like the last time that I think I do think that a lot of that is you you turn up expecting to watch a very slow ponderous build-up and that doesn't get a lot of people up off their seats and get excited about it it's a case of when like after the two or three minutes of passing we start to get towards the edge of the area then go right here we go now now I'm in oh no we've gone away again and you know it's like another but it, that's what it's like it, it we the build-up is so slow and ponderous that, that it's if you do exactly the same build-up the same possession but you just move the ball quicker and you're trying different avenues and you're trying to you try and flicks and tricks and turns and something different every now and again you, you buy a, another couple of minutes of patience from the fans for you to go sideways for a bit more. Well, I think we've started to do that a little bit more. Like, I mean, like you said, Darren, we've been a little bit more direct. And Anders has made a big difference. So I'm not sure that'll lift the crowd, to be fair. I think what lifts the crowd is chances and goals, full stop, you know, most of the time. That is the instant bang, there's an atmosphere. But I agree with Lorne that actually there is a duty for fans to get the players up for it before they even you know kind of go onto the pitch. And if uh, you're bored, entertain yourself by singing. Well, the, the, so the, fan, the, start, <laughs> the start of the season there was obviously the focus group to try and get a better atmosphere in, in the ground for kickoff. Um, and I, I think this um, this summer the the board the, the board and the, the club are going to have to reach out to those fan groups again and actually listen to maybe take more of their feedback on board because. Yeah. To get that expect get those expectation levels up, is they're going to have to work harder if we have had another asset stripping summer, which is, I'm afraid, what I think we're looking at. I just want to show Darren something. So, as a player, if you come out to something like that, that's at your, I think that's your club, isn't it, not in Forest? So John showing for that doesn't yeah, work. Sorry, on a podcast. Yeah, sorry, yeah, doesn't work that on a podcast. Is so I was a about to explain that. photo of the Trent end at Nottingham yeah. Forest Trent for the Derby yeah. game, and that was organised by their version of Bartley and Norwich, so Forza Garibaldi. And they raised some funds. I think it cost them four and a half grand, something Three like grand. that, to put it on. Yeah. And it's it's pretty cool. I think it looks awesome. But as a player, if you come out to that, does that instantly make a difference, or is it just all oh, right? They're holding up some card and the flag, and let's no, get it on does with. make a difference. Yeah, it does make a difference. I can remember going to Anfield with obviously Norwich mm-hmm. and with Coventry and a few other teams, and obviously do the never walk alone before the thing. It gives you goosebumps. You're thinking, Jesus, we're, mm-hmm. we're in for it here. Mm-hmm. So it does make a big difference. Mm-hmm. But you know, Norwich going to chuck three grand at that every. Well, I think it'll be us. I think it'll be the fans chucking the money at it. So, so, so this is the thing that we, we've been um, we've been trying to raise money all season for flags and banners and and more stuff to try and get the get the atmosphere going and try and make the uh, Road an intimidating place to come, which it has been in the past. But then, likewise, we've also been known as nice Norwich, and it's been we've been seen as a soft touch by by the likes of Warnock and and. Um, the long in the tooth managers have, have been like that's a quiet place and if you get on top of them early then then they start getting quite yeah. whingy quite quickly cool so we've got a few questions that have come in from, from listeners um, so let's continue the, uh, the the passage of the pod where we just basically drill huts for as much <laughs> information as we can so uh, I really like uh, this one this is, came from Liz Howlett on Facebook and it was what are your thoughts on Farker naming and shaming players publicly how does that go down in the dressing room does it motivate you or does it make you think why well, I'm playing for you 
Depends who it is, I guess, and depends what they've done. Sometimes players need a need a dressing down. I think when he came out and had a bit of a pop at Nelson, I think probably every fan would have agreed that's probably what he needed. But you don't know what's going on behind behind closed doors. Uh, you have to be really careful. I think if you go too far, and then it can have a detrimental effect to the dressing room. But you know, I don't think he has. I think. Obviously, because English is not his first language, I think he does pretty well with his press conference and stuff. But sometimes, I bet he, he would come across a lot different if he was speaking in German than he is in English. So, I think he can dig out people when it's the right time. But if you do it constantly, then it, it gets a bit boring and not boring, but it has no real effect. You stop listening, basically. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Cool. Uh, next question, uh, which I really like and is similarly linked, I guess. Who was the best attack? Oh, this came from James Chaplin on Facebook. Who was the best attacking coach you worked under and why? Kevin Keegan by Country Mark. Because he didn't he set up his teams to attack. He didn't care, really care about defending. He tried to outscore the teams he was playing against. And that was probably his downfall when he got right to the top of the mm. Premier League. But it, it was his training sessions were all high tempo, loads of finishing, uh, loads of goals being scored, loads of patterns of play. He just brought attacking, you know, attacking players, so Keegan was very good at that kind of thing. So, obviously, you've done um, done your badges and you've been coaching quite recently at Norwich. What, what was the what was the focus for you um, when you were setting up your sessions with the, with the young lads? Like, is it more is is the way you're taught badges wise balance? I presume you're not taught the Keegan way. Like, like no. when, when you're actually going through the badges, what what is it that you're encouraged to actually put together? It's it's just more session design and how to set up a session and you know different points in the session it, it don't really have much relevance to the real game if, I, if I'm going to be honest it's just getting you set up so you can put a session on in different styles but you know there's not many I wonder if there's many people coach the way that they are taught on all the on the A licenses and stuff like that but like how you're taught to drive is yeah just, just the same yeah he gives you the principles you're and, taught to pass the test yeah, basically but, you know I, I don't think there's any you know there's loads of play, people who can look good on courses and get organised and all that kind of stuff but the day to day stuff's really you know, it's very really difficult and that's why the managers are good at what they do. So when you when so for example as as part of the Norwich setup, um when it came to putting on your sessions and um, working out what you were trying to get from players, etc, patterns of play or whatever, how much input did you have from those in inverted commas above you in terms of we want you to be Getting the youngsters to do this. this, well, no, this we had, is we the had a coaching, coaching philosophy that you had to stick to every day. Yeah, we could uh, adapt what we're working on that day. So it'd be either penalty box finishing or defending the penalty box. It was always linked. So it was either defending the block and counter attack. So it'd be something that was set up to do on that day. And you could me, me and Gilly would go for it with the sports scientist Jay, and we would organise a session we was doing, and then we'd have three parts of that session that would be all linked. And then we'd all go and do a, do individual stuff. So I'd go and take the strikers and the wide men, and Gilly would take the midfielders and defenders, and that's how we'd do it. So it was all interlinked. You know, we had we had a philosophy at the club that we've been working on for four or five years. I think it might be changing slightly now. Right. Because obviously, the new people have come in and decided to, to to go a little bit away from that. But you know, the the Todd Campbells and Jamal Lewis has, have been working on that program for four or five years, six years. So on that on that note, who do you think is the next 
one that we should be looking out for. I mean, for example, you mentioned him just there. Todd Cantwell is ripping it up at the moment um, uh, for Fortuna Sittard. Um, can we expect him to come back and have a Madders level season? Obviously, that's way too much expectations because what Madders has yeah, done is the, the difference is Madders is you know was playing League One when he was what. 17, 18? Eight. <laughs> yeah, so he's, he's already played League One and then obviously went to Scotland and went and played League Two. And then now he <laughs> <laughs> went to Scotland and uh, he's probably on the same par as, you know, there's a couple of big teams, but everyone else is yeah. probably League One, bottom end championship. And he's come in, so that, that's a, a nice progression to where he is now. You know, Toddy's, I'm not sure what the standard is over there, but it's men's football. You know, Toddy's a, a very, very talented individual. There's not much that I could teach him about touch, control, vision. You know, I could w- work on little things of decision-making and how to finish sometimes or what it does in certain areas. But the actual fundamentals of the game he's got because he's, you know, he's got elevator touch, great vision, you know, athletically pretty good. What I tried to get on, this is from when he was 14, 15, 16, it was more his mindset because he, you know, he had to toughen up. You know, when he got kicked, he was down for five minutes. He showed people that he was hurt dead easy every time they kicked him. So it's more getting into Toddy's head and making him more of a man and making him just trying to show him what the the real side of football is because it's not playing 15s when you're 15s and 16s beating four players or megging people or doing tricks. It's it's being effective in games when you're playing blokes football and at the minute it's going okay but I would say the championship will be a massive step up from the, the league he's playing at the minute. But ability-wise, technique-wise, is not far off most of the first team players. Okay. But it's the whole package. It's, you know, it's got to be able to go every three days for six months playing. He's taking tackles, getting smack on, smacked on the back of the head, getting straight back up. It's dominate your uh, opponent 1v1. That's what he's got to get. And the more men's football he plays, the better he'll, he'll be. Okay, so along with, along with Toddy then, who else can we look out for that's, that maybe is on, on the fringes um, and and because of the, the churn that is almost certainly going to happen in the summer, there's probably going to be two or three spaces on the bench open up for more younger players because we haven't got the the capacity, the, the resources to fill them all with first-team professionals. Who, who would you maybe say you, you think might be knocking on the door? Uh, Max Arons has done really well for the under-23s. Uh, Adam Ida, who's underneath that, who's a first-year scholar, so he's 17 scored a lot of international goals for Ireland, you know, eventually he might be one of them ones who come through. It, the, real, the real bit is giving them the belief that they can go and play, play in the first team or play with it, because that's how it starts. You've got to have the belief that you can go and train with them every day. And through that belief, you, you get to you get to learn the ins and outs of being a pro. And it's not easy. You know, when I was a kid coming through, I wasn't much I was cocky, but I believed I was better than all the pros already. I really did when I was at Lincoln. But, and I had to work my way through. I used to get kicked all over the place, and I used to get put down and you know, put in my little box and booed all over the place. But in my head, I knew that I was better than these players. And I had that. It didn't matter what they tried to say to me, what I tried to do. And down then, playing in the third division, people tried to properly hurt you yeah. because you were taking someone's living. Mm-hmm. You know, you were taking people had to play to pay the mortgage and stuff. So it was it was, it was pretty ruthless. But you had to have that mindset that I'm going to not going to the top, but I'm. I'm better than these players. I'm going to get in the team. I'm going to get sold. I'm going to work my way up the league. And that's all I had in my head. And that's what these players have got to get. They, they can't be thinking, oh, am I good enough to go over there? Oh, I hope I get a call. I hope I get someone gets injured and I get over there. 
you've got to make them take you. You've got to make them take you and bring you into the first team squad, like Jammer's done. Yeah, like Toddy did a bit for us. Are you in the slightest bit surprised? Like we've, we've been singing his praises. Like I can't remember the last young player, Madison side, because he's had that grounding. The last player that's come from absolutely nowhere and is one of the first names on the team sheet, Jam Lewis, has just been incredible. As, as it, were you just like, yeah, I knew that would happen? Or even you uh, a little bit surprised by how well he's done? No, because he's got... Uh, I'm surprised he's gone in and it's, it's, it's been as comfortable for him. I'm not surprised by his outstanding attribute, his, his, his athleticism. He's an incredible athlete. And you can build on that. You really can. If you've got someone who can run all day, obviously his left footed helps and make it look, he looks nice on the ball. But if you've got someone who's an outstanding athlete... You've already got a weapon. You already know that he can do something that's exceptional. You know he's a, he'll be the fittest person in that in that team by a country mile. So you can build on that. And he comes in on his day off as well, doesn't he? Yeah, he's, so he's, he's doing, doing double he sessions. Did, he was then doing, he comes in his day when off. he was in the 23s and when he was in the 18s. So we had to like stop him from doing extra stuff. We really did because he wants to get better. You know, and, and that mindset. You know, you can't give everybody because. A lot of people don't want to work hard. A lot of people don't want to be physically incredibly fit. They don't. They just want to get by. And, you know, whether they have enough to kick on, you know, he's when he plays in the back four, I don't think he looks as comfortable as when he's playing in the three because he's never really played left back. He was kind of a left winger. So if he's going to play left back, he's got to learn that part of his game a little bit more. But as a wing back, you know, he's, he's, he's done really well. And like I so, said, it's not a surprise. It's a surprise that he's been as consistent as he has. It, but it's the maturity, isn't it? It's just maturity to be that consistent. But, uh, you know, it's funny how it happens because if husband or Stephen had done as well as they should have done, he wouldn't have got a look. Mm. Mm. So it's kind of weird that just because you know two signings haven't played as well as they should have done, mm. you know, he's a first, first choice left back now. Or left, or left wing back. So, so what ceiling wise do you think other than Madison it's basically 30 million plus don't even come to us with a bid less than 30 it's million. It's going to be nowhere near 30 million. What do you reckon it'll be? If we're nowhere near 30 million pounds. You don't think so? No. No I don't. Because you think it's like Because he's not, not played, there's, there's, not played the, the Premier League games. So there's not big enough there's not a big yeah but the, the, the prices for young English players are going up and up he's, he's not, you don't think there's a big enough body of work to be confident that he can do it at a high level. Madison's an unbelievable footballer and technically he's great but he's not, he's not played kicked the ball in the Premier League and, and no disrespect for the Championship but it's a different ball game when you go up everyone's bigger stronger quicker they're all good or good on the ball they're all extremely good athletes they're all, Pritch is finding well, nowhere near as much space yeah. Pritch is a good player mm. but everyone's just bigger stronger and quicker and I'm not saying Madison it's not hard to be bigger than Pritch though yeah, <laughs> I'm not saying Madison you know, Madison's a good player we all know he is but he won't be able to get away with the stuff he gets away with in the championship. But then he don't have to at the minute. He's just got to do what he's doing. He's, and he's, you know, he's, he's making a great name for himself. But unless it's like, you know, a top six, top six club who spend that kind of money, and he ain't going to get in the top six clubs. No, because they haven't got another ten position then, for him. And, and not be funny. He's, you know, no one plays with just a ten now. They're, 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 they're all midfielders. They all can run. They all can get up and down. They're all box to box. So. You know, if we get twenty million pound for him, it'll you know probably not save the club, but it will save us struggling for money for a season or so. So, I think it'll be something around that. It won't be anywhere near thirty million. You don't get established Premier League players going for that kind of money. Okay, so you've got the the the, the potential. Well, well Kante costs what twenty two something like that, and he's won Premier League before. So yeah, I know yeah. I know it's, everything's moved on a little bit since then. Yeah, yeah, but. 
you know, we've got to be realistic when we start talking about. You can't just chuck a figure out and say, oh yeah. I can chuck I can chuck a figure out because I'm an ignoramus idiot and never played the game. So, so I, I can be an idiot, but you, what you've just said makes perfect sense. But that, that that's the figure that's been banded around. Like you know, it, it, it was twenty million in January, and he's been phenomenal since. Why was January. it twenty million in January? Because because that was the figure that was banded about then. <laughs> so, because we got eleven for Pritch, and I think that the opinion is that his his ceiling, his his potential in the next two three years could be. Yes, Pritch was a more developed footballer, more rounded footballer than. The Madison in January, but the the potential. He's still, Madison I think he's, he's going in the right way. He's still learning. You know, he's had an exceptional season. Like we said before, without him, we'd be in a bit of trouble. But you can't just chuck in. You know, he's going to end up going to a, a Newcastle or something like yeah. that. Who is a not a top level Premier League club, but someone who's let's face it, all below the top bottoms, all below the top six are in relegation. Yeah. Yeah. Get, get yeah. 40 points so it, it'll be one of them teams and. You know, good luck to him because, you know, eventually he, he's, he'd have outgrown us and then he'd have to go and prove himself on the bigger stage. You know, Jacob went for sixteen million or £12 million and don't get the team week in, week out. Mm-hmm. So it's, that might happen to Madison. You don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that sort of the, the coaching bit led on quite nicely and then you jumped in with your, your Madisons and your numbers. But Kelvin Goodson on Facebook, um, do you continue to harbour any senior coaching or managerial aspirations? I never want to be a manager. Uh, never would would do. I've seen too many people who I really like. Uh, it's affected them quite a bit. So no, at the minute, I don't know. It sounds daft, but I, when I was coaching, I would really just wanted to coach at Norwich. To be honest with you, mm-hmm. you know, I've, I've moved around all my all my life since I was sixteen, basically. So to come back here and work at Norwich was a, a big thing, and it and it kind of meant something to work with the lads at, at Norwich to hopefully get them in the first team to hopefully make the club better if that makes sense that you know I've, I've had a few offers but it wouldn't it wouldn't be the same not the same buzz but I wouldn't have the same urge to go and work at Colchester or somewhere else that so in a minute I'm happy just doing a bit of radio and doing a bit of media stuff but you never know a Man City job just come up under 23 so Lincoln jobs just come up so I don't know if it's something that's yeah. like weird means something a little bit more like like a Forest or, or Leeds or commentary somewhere you've got yeah. that affinity yeah maybe you know like a there's always jobs come up it's whether and to be honest with you my, my wife didn't want me to leave where I'm away for five or six days because I don't need to so she'll say well you don't need to go and do it so so we'll see I don't know I don't know okay final question Chris Ogden on Twitter who would win a mini league between the 2003-2004 2010-2011 and 2014-15 promotion teams I think we should all answer this I've got to say us I've got to yeah, say the first one yeah. say, say again what was, the, what was the list so it's the 03-04 uh, one which was uh, yeah. down at Boxing Bay yeah. then there was 10-11 which sorry, was league, Lambert and then 14-15 Wembley Alex Neal we're the only one out of that lot that won the league for a start. Yeah, well, I'd agree. What, 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 I, I would agree what, with both of our four. What, what I would say is, we had a, a hardened, hardened championship pro team playing. As in, you had Mark Edwards who ended up getting promoted three times. You had Fleming Malky who played most of the games, hardened. You had Gary Holt in midfield. Yeah, Gary Holt. The only one who did the championship, the only one who had to play in the championship. You had Aaron Jury, probably the best left back in the, in the league for 10 years. Mm-hmm. Rob Green, who was super yeah, hard. Yeah, he was England at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, Ads, who, you know, because he's boring, he didn't get appreciated as much as he should have done, but he was, in my opinion, one of the best defensive players I've ever seen. 
your halter, you've got Damien Francis, who was an outstanding box box midfielder, and then you've also got Fulmontvay, Will Ryan, who could come in, play their talented players. And I really, really liked Matthias Svensson. Yeah, Svensson was a good player. He, 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 really he played a lot of games in the Premier League. So you've got Svensson, you've got Leon McKenzie, you've got Ewan Roberts, who's scored numerous amounts of goals. I, th- I, I would say we would win because I don't know if the other teams would be able to break us down and I'm pretty sure that I would be able to rip up whoever's playing right back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's fair. Um, there was one other that was similar to that. Um, a sort of rack, rack. But they're good teams, don't get me wrong. You know, yeah. Wesley Grant's probably the best player I've seen in the Norwich for 10 years. So. Well, that, I think that leads on to the question yeah, that comes so back to us. On that point, um, in their prime, um, rank this top three. Wes... Obviously, you're number one, so we're going second. No, hang on. We're going second no. and fourth. No, we're, going second, we're going second and fourth. Even with down there, Wes, Wes is number one. I don't yeah, know. I don't know how to say that. Um, so, Hux is the best player you've ever played in Norwich, right? So, that's great. So, second to fourth, rank Wes, Edie, Madders. Pure ability, not longevity of service, because that does, obviously, that's Wes, but pure pure ability at, on, when they were absolutely at their peak and obviously Madders currently is at that pure ability Wes ED Madders technical ability Darren Edie could win a yeah different player Darren Edie could win a game on his own uh, that's what you probably could say about me as well we, uh, and Madders has done that about six times this season yeah but we're still 14th in the league <laughs> yeah, so he needs to do it a few more times. No, well, yeah, 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 obviously he might not have the, the team around him where he, he can. Oh, that's a tough question. I think for it's hard to look past Wes. You know, he's a sublime football. He really is. He, he sounds that, but he's probably probably too good for Norwich over the years. And it's know, been circumstance that's kept him. Yeah, kept, yeah, kept yeah, him yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah. But you know, I just think obviously thirty six now he's still. You know, comes on and still pull strings, and you know, Wes is a, a top class footballer. Don't, don't get they're all, they're all good. You know, it's not that, but I don't think you should be putting Madison in in the brackets with Darren Eady and yeah, that's because no, yeah. they've played Premier League football. They played. I didn't write the question, Hucks. Yeah, yeah. Just, just, <laughs> but, 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 but Madison's start of his journey has been incredible. Yeah, I would say that start of his journey has been incredible. To go leave Coventry for a lot of money, come here. He's going to end up leaving here for a lot of money, but also playing really well while he's been here. But he says himself, it was only a couple of days ago he tweeted, he's learning off the master every day. Wes, you know, yeah. like what, what he's talking about um, learning your trade in the same squad as the number 10 and well, 14, like Wes. I mean, what, what it, a footballing it's, education. It's, it's, it's unbelievable because I went to Newcastle from Lincoln and I was training with Beardsley, Ginola, Shearer, Ferdinand, Esprit. Even though I didn't play. You, what you learn, you just you kind of learn what it takes to be a proper player. So that's what probably Madison's probably seen. He's probably in front of Wes, but he's watching Wes over the last two, three years, and it's going to show them what you have to do to be a top class player. And like I say, he's probably killing Wes because he will probably want to play week in, week out. But you know, Wes will probably look back later on down the line and thinking, well, probably maybe I helped Madison in his journey. Maybe. Okay. So the, um, the final thing for us to run through, uh, as we always wrap up our podcast with a little friendly quiz, it's not that friendly, um, what are the current rankings at the moment between you two? Don't it matter, let's just move on to the quiz. I think it does matter. I mean. No, I don't know. I think it does matter. Let's just, what's the quiz questions? I think you can glean from, yeah. 
You're not taking this quiz seriously, are you losing? He takes Wait dead until series. you see the questions, he's then dead, you'll he's see. Dead, he's, he's dead last. What, what you, what no, he's, he's joint last now. Is he joint last with the guest? Yeah. It's so, questions like, um, so I would get uh, which Colombian was the top goal scorer for Colchester in 2019... Um, hasn't happened sorry, yet. 1919, and then John will get what's your name, something like that. It's, it's not. Fair. He's so bitter, isn't he? You are. So, I think that happened right. once. You've got uh, the format's very simple. Actually. You've got six questions. You've got a minute. What are they about? Anything? Mostly about Football, you, your yeah. ones. Right. Um, so we, we try and feed them around <laughs> the guest each week or whatever, whatever's in the news. So it's a little bit g- generic football. Have you got your timer off? I'm ready. Noise off. Well done. Um, it's one minute. Uh, if you get one wrong, we move straight on to the next one. Uh, and then we'll come back to the ones that you've passed on or that you didn't know okay. and, until the minute is up. So, Mr. Huckabee, your quiz mostly about yourself. Your time starts now. How many appearances did you make whilst on loan at Millwall? Five. Close. Incorrect. Uh, name an Argentinian that has managed in the Premier League. Pochino. Correct. Who was the top scorer in the year you played for Norwich in the Premier League? Uh, there were three of us. No, 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 sorry, in the whole of the Premier League. Henri. Correct. Name one Portuguese player to have a Premier League goal or assist this season. Portuguese player? Mm. Don't know, pass, come on. Uh, in what year were you inducted into the Norwich City Hall of Fame? 2004. Correct. Who was the first Man City player to wear the number nine in the Premier League era? No, I Correct. Uh, how many appearances did you make whilst on loan at Millwall? Six. Correct. Three goals. Um, name one Portuguese player to a Premier League goal or assist this season. Portuguese. Rodriguez. Uh, incorrect. Time. Five out of six, which is... That's record. Yes, that's, that's, that's record equal. Chris Gorham is the one who, got, who's, who currently has five out of six. So Nine. Quinn. Uh, so you could have had Bernardo Silva at Man City, Jose Font, Cal Mario at West Ham, or Adrian Silva at Leicester. Silver, I fucking forgot it was Portuguese. Yeah, I keep thinking of Spanish. But in fairness, um, on it's a quiz that was mostly about you and your connections, five out of six was decent. So, Quality, yeah. the, the, Quinn is a good show. So the other two boys have got Huck's um, inflected questions. So don't get too offended if they get some of these wrong. But okay. five out of six, you're looking very strong. Bear in mind that two will win for you. So, but there is a tiebreaker. So I hope one of them does get it. But I don't think it's likely. So, Lorne, your time. Starts now. Who did Hux join Leeds from? Uh, Newcastle. Incorrect. Name one of the Premier League clubs that have had more than twenty managers since the start of the Premier League era. Current Premier League. Yeah. Newcastle. Correct. Who beat Hux to the Barry Butler Trophy in the two thousand five six season? Um. Unbelievably. Yeah. I know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Pass. Name one Liverpool goalkeeper to wear the number one jersey since 2010. Uh, Mini Incorrect. Who was the only Welsh member of the squad in the 2004-2005 Premier League season? The Hux was in. Welsh? Only one Welshie. Was Ed Worthy Welsh? Uh, no. What type of cat was the official mascot for the 2010 FIFA World Cup? What type of cat? Mm-hmm. Pass. <laughs> Who did Hux join Leeds from? <laughs> Coventry. Correct. Um, who beat Hux to the Barry Butler Trophy in the 2005 season? Oh, right. <laughs> That's Gary Dockett. It is Gary Dockett, which is, is a travesty. Um, yeah. uh, you, got, you got two of them. If I get a what type of dog, we'll call it three. fuck off. How many was it? No, it was Coventry. 
Oh, yeah, sorry, it was three. You've yeah. lost yeah. Coventry, Newcastle. Well, it might be. No, 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 it was, yeah, it was only two. It was only two. You got Coventry and you got Newcastle. What was the cat one? Um, the cat one was leopard. <laughs> oh, I'd have gone tiger. Yeah. Uh, South Africa one. <laughs> uh, and uh, who who were you in the Premier League with? It was Welsh. Big hands. Darren Ward. Oh, yeah. Uh, Liverpool goalkeepers to win well number one since 2010. Loris Carrius. Oh, I can only think of two, and I didn't think Carrius would be. Diego Cavalieri. Uh, they don't tend to have number ones, so no. I picked it. Um, uh, Darren Ward, you got Leopard, you got. Yeah, that's that's all of them. Um, so you're out on the running, Lorne, again. <laughs> <laughs> there aren't any dog or cat questions, which Lorne's going to go mental at. But, John, these are your these questions. Your time starts. Now, where did Hux first go on loan whilst at Man City? Pass. Who is the only Israeli to have managed in the Premier League? Pass. Who did Hux make his final league appearance against in a Norwich shirt? Sheffield Wednesday. Correct. Which Premier League player has scored the most league goals with his left foot? Robin Van Persie. Incorrect. Who scored twice in the 6-0 defeat that condemned City at Craven Cottage? Andy Cole. Incorrect. Who won the Golden Boot in this 1966 FIFA World Cup? Jeff Ernst. Incorrect. Where did Hux first go on loan whilst at Man City? Pass, no idea. Who was the only Israeli to have managed in the Premier League? I think I know the Messi. Come yeah, on, I think I know Messi. Yeah. Um, which Premier League player has scored the most league goals with his left foot? Um, left foot, left foot, Robbie Fowler. Correct. Who scored twice in the 6 0 defeat that condemned City at Craven Cottage? Uh, there as well. Golden Boot in 1966 World Cup. Stop. Give it up. Right. So, Hux, do you remember where you went? I do you know, Lorning. Can you have a guess? Where I, you don't know, I don't know where Hux went. I, I scored four again. Uh, we'll beat North oh, Forest. Was it? Forest. It was yeah. Forest, yeah. Israeli is Avram Guam. Yeah, yeah, that. That's quite easy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, World Cup. Uh, Eusebio? Eusebio. Yeah, I got that as well. And who scored twice in the 10th and then 63rd minute? Uh, Brian McBride. Yes, correct. Yeah, I got all them. Easy questions. Cat. <laughs> In your face you could have just cats. You could just... Yeah, exactly. Oh, you're not allowed to do that. You're only allowed yeah, to name one cat. Also, yeah, then you go pass, pass, pass. Another cat. Yeah, you're a cheater. <laughs> just canny. Don't bring anyway. on the table just because you lost. Sorry. So also, you're gonna have another complaint, sorry, Donnie. Uh, yeah, that was less of a complaint, but I was thinking like top cat or like, like I was when thinking would, a cartoon cat. Be top the... cat won't be the. Yeah, why would he be the mascot? <laughs> <laughs> Stupid question, isn't it? Okay, well, uh, Hux, congratulations, you yeah, well are played. the winner. I probably week. should win when it's some of them about me, shouldn't I? You say well, that, but yeah. some guests don't. Brian um, Gunn, absolutely not. Yeah, Brian, <laughs> Brian Gunn. was on the red wine before. <laughs> well, mate, I, I, honestly, Gunny's questions I made as easy as possible. One of them was the World Cup song What's single. your song called? Well, listen, <laughs> well no, he, he was giving us plenty of that, but uh, one of them was the, what was the World Cup single that he sang on um, in the one time he was in the squad and he, and he couldn't remember. But anyway, there you go. For a bonus point, let's just do your tiebreak because you're so proud of it. Okay, yeah. so the tiebreaker, who's he gets closest? Um, Hux, you made 459 career appearances. More, yeah, that's wrong. Okay. <laughs> uh, how many go- how many career goals did you score? Bearing in mind that the correct answer is what I've got, irrelevant of what you think. I know exactly what it is. Okay. 113 is. Okay. I'm going to say that as well. Okay. I'm going to say less because I think you've got... I've got 114. Maybe, I don't know. So you're missing one. I'm going to say 114. Is the right answer. You win! (laughs) (laughs) It's time for us to sign off. Um, Thanks ever so much. It's been an absolute pleasure, Hux, having a a Norwich legend on the podcast. Um, That's all from me, Tom. That's all from you, John. Cheers. See you later, Lorne. See you later. See you later, Hux. See you. Bye-bye.